Let's pray. Father, I need you on this. Lord, you know I'm really not prepared. Father, I'm trusting you that you would give me the words that are needed to be spoken and that each one of the hearers would get out of this what they need. So Lord, it's, it's all resting on you. I give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. So we just got done talking about revival and now we're going to talk about Jesus' death and why it matters so much. Fair disclosure, I'm not promising to not cry throughout this. So, we have in the past talked about the crucifixion, uh, the, the various aspects of it, the physical aspects, but do we understand it? Like I said, we have an understanding of the physical aspects of it, the method by which Romans crucified people. We know how that process worked. But how many of us actually know what happened to Jesus while he was being crucified at the moment of his death? Now, just to set the groundwork, let's cover what this is not going to be about. This is not an exercise in guilt. We're not going to be using this as a way of beating people over the head or showing them that, oh, see, Jesus was crucified and everyone should feel bad and horrible and repent because of it. This is not an intellectual study. Yes, you will gain more knowledge and wisdom as you go through this, but it's not for the purpose of just building up head knowledge to walk around and tell everybody, oh, well, I know what happened to Jesus. It's not how this functions. And this is not meant to be used to beat people up. Which goes right back into the first point of this is not an exercise in guilt. What this is about is a look at how God made us. And when I step in for the second teaching, this is going to play a heavy part. So remember... This is going to be a short look at how God made us and how we fall. That's in the next episode. A look at how Jesus did not fall. Because, well, we'll, we'll get there. And a look at why it's so important for us to understand how this all functions. So let's begin. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 10. He was in the world... And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe into his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. It still baffles me that he is the light. He is the reason we have life and light. And we don't understand that. And I still don't fully grasp that. But John goes on to say, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So at this point, we have gone well above our pay grade to fully understand how God is the light and how he is the light in us. And ironically, that is exactly the thing I'm going to try to explain to some extent. So we're going to try to understand this. And I know here it says there will likely be two-part to this. No, it will definitely be a two-parter. Because I... Maybe even three. <laughs> I, I, there's so much to touch here. So let's talk about conception. Everybody knows that conception takes a man and a woman. Man brings the sperm. Woman brings an egg. And together they make a body. But they cannot make a spirit. It is not possible. So for visual representation we have our egg, we have our sperm, they come together and they make a body. Isn't that so, so cute? Just the cutest thing. I'd like to say that I looked that cute when I was little but I look more like Uncle Fester. Now did anyone spot the problem with that illustration? The problem is there's no spirit in that diagram that I just gave you. So if you have a baby, but you don't have a spirit, then all that equals is a dead body. I know, right? It's great teeth. Obviously he had a great dentist. <laughs> so we know that only God can make a spirit. Man does not have the ability. Religion does not have the ability to make a spirit. Lack of religion does not have the ability to make a spirit. Typically we call that atheism, and people who believe in atheism typically don't believe you have a spirit, which means once you die, you're dead, and that's it. But it happens at the moment of conception. So if we change that around a little bit, and we go baby plus a spirit, then it equals not a dead body, but rather a living baby. Who looks like he's starting a riot to get food. Feed me. Suddenly, we have life. First we had conception, and at that moment of conception, God put the spirit inside of us, our spirit, and then we have life. That life, at start, is perfect. It is because God doesn't make dead spirits. He makes living spirits. So when we are first conceived and born, we are alive to God and fully functional in all the spirit realm and all the kingdom. Now we don't have the mental capacity to really understand what we're doing or dealing with, but there we are. So we start out with a living spirit. But we as people have a problem. At some point, we make a choice. Typically, 
it's a choice for selfishness. Other times, it's a choice to hurt somebody else. But at some point in our development, we grow up, we get to an age, and it's different for everybody, we get to an age where we understand what is right and what is wrong, and we choose to break the law knowingly. As adults, we don't remember when that point was. We have zero recollection. It's just totally beyond our ability to recall. Romans 7, verses 7 through 9. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So we were born with sin in our bodies, because our bodies were created through sinful flesh. But our spirit was alive, and then we chose to break the law, the thing that was worked into the fabric of reality of how God said things were supposed to operate. The law came alive, and our spirit died. Our connection was broken, and we were left with a dead spirit. But nobody can say it wasn't my fault, because it was still a choice. But if we look back at seven, Romans 7, verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. The most fascinating part of that verse was the word opportunity, because it's the Greek word aforme. It means a starting point. It was a place where it found a root, something in your soul, something in your desires, found a root spot of something that you craved, and it went for it. That was the starting point. It means a place from which a movement or attack is made. It's a base of operations. And from that point, we made the choice, and then we died. Not roadkill dead, but we died spiritually in our function. So let's be clear about something here. The law is not a mystical force. It's not some ethereal sort of thing that's out there that you need some sort of magical codex to understand. Because you don't. The Bible has it outlined what is good and what is bad what will bring life, and what will bring death. It is hardwired into the very fabric of reality. So while you're walking around thinking to yourself, well, I mean, this whole idea of thou shalt not covet, it just seems so ethereal and mystical. The bottom line is, it is worked into the very fabric of reality that you do not covet, because that coveting brings you death. It is a misfunction of how we are supposed to operate, how we are supposed to think, and how we are supposed to feel. When we desire to take something from somebody else for our gain, we've just broken the whole system and how it works. The problem, if you have a problem with that outlook, 
then you're going to have to work with the law of sin and death because that's the only thing left to you. If you reject the law of life, then you're going to work with the law of sin and death. Because you're always going to be a slave to something. Either a slave to sin leading to death, or a slave to righteousness leading to life. It's always going to be a choice. And the law was a statement. What kind of statement was it? As I just said, this is how things are designed to work. Do it this way, because this is the way to life. I keep getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but the problem is that nobody has the ability to keep all of the law. And we know that if you stumble in one point, you have stumbled in the whole thing, broken the system, and you're just toast. And that's what happened to us when we made that first conscious choice for sin. We broke the entirety of the law, and we died. And that was the point of the law, to show us that we can't keep the law. To show us that we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to keep the law. It's just not possible. Look back at the several hundred, several thousands of years of Jewish history, and you will see they did not keep the law. They could keep most of it, but they couldn't keep all of it, so they had their sacrifices that they had to do. Their yearly sacrifices, their sin sacrifices, their atonement sacrifices, their offerings, all the stuff that God had set up to atone for the sins that they would commit throughout the year. So it was there to show that you can't do it. It was there to show that you need a savior, somebody who could empower you outside of yourself to do what you know is right. When you break the law, your spirit dies. So we've gone over that in deep enough detail. So now what happens? Now you need salvation. And only Jesus was able to pull this off. And we're, now we're gonna go into the why. So Jesus shows up, and in Luke 1, verse 35, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So this ties right back into what Jeannie was saying, which is man was not involved in the creation of Jesus' body. Therefore there was no sin in Jesus' body. So when Jesus was put here on earth in a physical body, his spirit was perfect, his body was without, without any issues, he was sinless. Literally from head to toe. <laughs> and as you can see here, I've gone completely over all of my bullet points. <laughs> so there was no sin involved. No sin in his body. Jesus born with a sinless body and a living spirit. We have a sin-filled body, and we're living, and a living spirit at birth. So, yes. speaking it to, to submitting to be in a single 
in all honesty, when you stop and think about the fact that he is the one who spoke everything into existence, to be involved in that level of intricate intimacy probably brought him immense joy. To be submitted to the will of the Father to come here and do what he was required to do, to gain the relationship with us, probably brought him more joy than you can possibly begin to conceive of. <laughs> yeah. So, at some point we chose sin and we died, but Jesus did not choose sin at any point, and he re remained alive because of that. And that was necessary because he had to be a perfect sacrifice. If he had chosen sin, this would have blown the entire setup and we'd all be in hot water. But now I want to want you to pay attention to something here because it says that the scripture says that he was tempted in all things. Hebrews 4:15 is where it says that. And if you go back and you look at the Greek, 
in that passage, and I highly encourage you to, it says, it reads as tempted to a fine point. Meaning that in every way that you could be tempted, he was tempted, and not just that, but tempted to the absolute utmost extreme point of that form of temptation. It was there, it was presented, and he chose not to. So nobody in the room gets to say, but I was tempted beyond what I could handle. Okay, maybe you were tempted severely, but Jesus set the example, and if you have Jesus, he has given you the ability and the power to choose to not to give into it. So our stage is set. Jesus was born without sin and with a living spirit. Jesus lived his entire life without sin. We are born with sin in our bodies, but we are born with a living spirit. We did not live our lives without sin. The law was broken, in our case, by us. Now, the reason why I keep hitting on the contrast between Jesus and us, how he was born, how we're born, how he didn't sin, how we chose sin, is because that's going to come back to play in the next time I teach on this. Yeah, a quick note for the next episode. Jesus is the light of the world. First birth was of the will of man and flesh for us. Okay, our birth was the will of flesh and man. Our second birth is of the will of God. Because he chose it and desired it for us to be born a second time into life. And we have to open ourselves up to it. It's not something that just happens to us because we wake up one morning and say, Oh, well, I was born in America and I've been here my whole life. I guess I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's not how it works. Jesus put that life into each of us who are saved. So now let's shift our focus. Super fast recap. Jesus came to, uh, Jesus came to the earth was born as a man, lived a life without sin, fulfilled all of the law, his spirit was alive, and the entire time he was here, until the cross. So Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was poured out for our transgressions. He was brewed for, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the penalty of sin was death, and someone had to pay that price for us. Because if we paid that price, then we would be in hell. Because that is the ultimate price for sin. And it doesn't matter if it's, I stole a pen, to I cheated on every wife I ever had, and had 17 kids out of wetlock, and killed four of them, and went off on a murder streak, and got taken out by the cops. Sin is sin is sin is sin. And even the quote-unquote minor sins will still land you in the same place.
So the only one good enough to pay that price for us was Jesus. Because the sacrifice to pay for everyone's sin had to be perfect and blameless. And I know we know all this stuff. We've heard it a thousand times. And the only way Jesus could, could be that in that position was if he had kept the entire law, which would have kept his spirit alive from the time of his birth. He couldn't have kept the law otherwise. If he had sin in his body, he would have at some point chosen sin. We know this because before his birth and since his birth, there is not one person on this planet who has not chosen sin after they were born. Not one. There's no record of it. <laughs> Maybe some lasted longer than others, but ultimately, they chose it. So he had a full connection to the Father from the moment of his birth, with no break, no severing, nothing. It's just like the connection that we have now. Maybe a little heightened because he didn't have sin in his body, but it was the same connection. So he was fully functional in the spirit realm and fully functional in the kingdom. He laid down his soul as a ransom for us, as we saw in Isaiah 53.10. He was beaten, mocked, and hung on a tree to become a curse for our sake. He suffered for several hours on that cross, and in the sixth hour, darkness was over the land. In Mark 15, verse 34, And at the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So did the Father forsake him? Yes. This was the first time Jesus had ever experienced separation from the Father. Prior to this, from the moment of his conception, through his birth, through his childhood, teen years, and adult life, he had always had a connection to the Father. And then all of a sudden, that was gone. And the reason for that is sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And as long as God inhabits your spirit, you are not capable of having sin in your spirit. So the Father and the Holy Spirit had to leave. And that was how Jesus became sin for us. Once they exited, and his spirit, his spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but his spirit died in its function to God, sin entered in and it became a dead spirit. So, as I said, spirit must die for sin to enter, but Jesus could not choose the sin. And this is why this whole thing just completely blows my mind. He had to become sin, but he couldn't choose sin, because if he chose sin of his own free will, then the whole deal was off. Everything would have been broken from the get-go. And the 33 years he spent on this earth would have been for nothing. But because he didn't choose sin, because the Father was the one who severed the connection, he was able to become sin without choosing sin and be a perfect sacrifice. And it gets really crazy from here.
So as I said, if he chosen, it would have fully nullified the sacrifice and required no connection to the Father, which meant no spiritual life for him. Like we just said, had to be just like us before salvation. Became sin to pay the price for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And then he breathed his last breath. Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. This was his last physical act of trust. Because he knew what was coming next, and he knew that the only person who could make this work and get him out of it was the Father. So he committed his spirit into the hands of the Father, trusting that he, the Father would do what was necessary to set things on the correct course to A, pay the price for us, and B, get him back into heaven so that the sacrifice could be completed. Jesus knew his spirit was going to unrighteous Sheol. It was going to be there because that's where sin must go. It can't go into righteous Sheol, and it can't go into heaven because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. It would be completely and utterly obliterated from existence. So, he had to pay the price for us, and his going there was that price that he paid. And he was trusting the Father to bring him through it. And the Father did. So three days and three nights, not in hell, but in Abraham's bosom, preaching to the righteous. Unrighteous Sheol lasted for only a moment. Jesus was there illegally because he never sinned. All right. But after that, the happiest parts begin. The state of Jesus' spirit had to change. That was the only way for him to get from the torment side to the paradise side. So he went from being in a righteous spiritual standing to an unrighteous spiritual standing at the time the Father separated his connection from him. Then he goes to Sheol, where he puts sin, the condition of sin, and puts it to death. And then his spiritual condition had to change, because if it didn't, he couldn't get over into righteous Sheol, because the righteous can't be in the unrighteous, and the unrighteous can't be in righteous. It's just not possible. So he only needed to put the sin to death, and like I said, it doesn't take long to kill anything. Uh, to bring life doesn't take long either. But it does take power, and it takes the power of the Father. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I, I don't even have words. <laughs> to say amen is, it just falls massively short. So, this is the illustration I was talking about. It's a very, very fast summation of what we just did here, and I'm sorry your handouts really don't do justice because there's overlays, but Jesus shows up on the planet as a baby 
from the time of his birth, he had perfect connection to the Father. He was totally righteous. So he goes through life, and the entire time, he chooses not to sin. Until the time he becomes a man, and he's walking out his ministry and doing all of his things, and he's still connected to the Father. He still has full righteousness. Right. If he had sinned even once, it would have totally blown the end. You have to consciously be capable of choosing it. You have to know it's wrong to do it. Right, well, a baby can't. No, they can't, they can't make a choice. They don't have the understanding of right and wrong. This is why people get into the whole predestination of children, and they say some say babies go to hell, and some say all babies go to heaven. Well, the bottom line of the matter is you have to consciously be capable of making a choice for right. So, so yes, as a baby, totally righteous. And nobody knows what that age is, because everybody's age is different. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yes, there, there is an exception, but for the average Joe, no. Uh... But at any rate, Jesus goes through his whole life totally righteous, no sin in his body, no sin in his spirit, completely keeping the law. And what this means for all of us is that at no point in time was there sin in his life. This cannot be done if there is sin somewhere in you. If there is sin in your body, at some point it is inevitable you will choose sin. Now, that does not mean that you are bound, hell-bent, and determined that no matter what you do with your life, you will always sin. It just means that without something outside of you empowering you to not sin, all you can do is sin. So prior to salvation, every breath, every sneeze, every bite of food, every drink of water, every fart was a sin. Totally dead in its function to God. So everything you do is sin. Just, in the words of Lee, throw that out there. <laughs> so if there, if there, if there, yeah, spit it out. So like I said, if there is sin somewhere in you, and for all of us that would be sin in our bodies, because we were conceived by flesh, it's inevitable. You're going to sin, break the law, and your spirit will die. And then you need salvation. Look, my comma stayed there. So then comes the cross, and the King of Glory was hung on said cross. The entire time he was up there, he still had full righteousness. Because the entire time he was up there, he still had his connection to the Father. Until that moment when he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. At that moment, the connection to the Father was cut off. Jesus' sinless, righteous state 
goes away because he just died in his spirit, and as a result, sin moved in, and he became sin for us. And when his spirit left his body, it was a spirit that had sin. A spirit or a body? No, a spirit. Body is somewhat inconsequential, but it's not inconceivable because the connection to the Father was lost and he died in his spiritual function with the Father, that his body then took on sin as well, which would then allow it to start decomposition in the grave. But we know from Psalms that David said, You will not allow your spirit your servant to see corruption his body would not experience corruption so this whole process takes place really fast and he comes back before his body rots and dies but his spirit had the sin and he goes right down to Sheol illustrated by that beautiful red line there now yep the condition the death The other side was righteous Sheol. So Jesus shows up there with sin. Then he separates from the sin. And because righteousness cannot dwell in a place of unrighteousness, he had to go over to righteous Sheol. So he dies in a state of spiritual death. In that state of spiritual death, he can't go into righteous shield. He has to go into unrighteous shield. Well, he'd never committed sin. She never chose sin, but he became sin. Sin is not righteousness. So his condition had to change at the point where he gets down into Sheol. His condition had to be separated from the sin, so he paid a price for something he had never done, became sin when he had never sinned, goes to Sheol, and then what happens? The father has to reestablish a connection with him because he didn't do anything wrong. He never chose the sin. So it's not like he went against Jesus' free will in bringing him back to life. And there's one of the differences between us and Jesus is that if we choose sin and we die spiritually, and then later on we choose to reject Jesus, and then we die physically, we have made our choice. So we wind up in the unrighteous torment side. And God won't go against your free will, even at that point. And here's the sad thing. So once, you've, once you've hit that point, you still would not choose to go back. Because you don't want the righteousness, you don't want the change, and you don't want to die to yourself. I'm going to wind up going into the next episode, and I'm sorry for everybody. Uh, when you received salvation, 
And it says that you, we always talk about how you were on the cross with Jesus. You have to see yourself on the cross and putting the sin to death. You are literally walking through this event. Your spirit was dead. Jesus comes alive inside of you, brings his Holy Spirit with him. You now have life in your spirit. And the death that was in your spirit has to go somewhere. Actually, it goes out into the body. <laughs> but when the body dies, the sin dies with the body. Then it's there. Because the sin can't coexist. Yes, he does. As your soul is submitted, and the soul begins to change frequency, and it changes the frequency of the body, and the body starts to come to life, but at no point will your body be 100% perfect until you're dead. Sin needs some place to live, and once you're dead... Right. I just want you to know in the next episode, I'm blaming you for going into the next episode before the episode happens. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, this this is a process that took me an entire week to get. I still don't have it all, and I'm not even allowed to talk about half the stuff I got. So there's that. But three days and three nights in paradise, Abraham's bosom, not in torment, wrote a lot faster on my other computer, but he was actually spending that time in ministry ministering to those who were in paradise who are waiting for the promise of the coming Messiah. And he shows up and says, hey everyone, it's me. Let me explain to you what you had faith in and how this works. Boom, now you got all these hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who have died and they're like, well, wow, now we get to go to heaven. And then Jesus says, not just yet, hang tight. I still have to go to my father and deposit my blood as the price. And then after that, and he comes back to her, comes back and takes everybody into heaven, and it gets crazy. But we're not there yet in this message. <laughs> but the the idea here that we really need to get our heads around is the function of how sin works, and the function of how Jesus' sacrifice works. The loss of connection, and the fact that. And I'm going to say this, and again, this is not meant as a guilt trip to anyone. This isn't made a statement to make everyone be like, oh, I feel so bad. But to understand the value of what was done. Jesus knowingly came here, knowing what was going to happen, took joy in participating with us in our lives at that time, knowing he was going to go to, go to the cross, and knowing that he was going to experience a separation from the Father that he had never experienced before in his life. He was going to become the very thing that separates us from him in the first place. So that we would have the ability to be with him for all eternity, and then we turn around and say no when Jesus tells us to do things. 
and I'm not picking on you. This is... <laughs> I just remembered you were saying talking about that earlier. I, this is not meant towards you. This is something that he showed me weeks ago before Lee had even asked me to step in and teach today. But, you know, we, we have the audacity to say no. And sometimes it's not even just a matter of saying no. It's where he puts something on our hearts to do and we just don't do it. Slow obedience is no obedience to righteousness leading to life. With that, let's shut this down. Father, we thank you for this, this message of your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for your son. The price that was paid is still more than we fully understand and more than we fully grasp. But we know that our full comprehension of what you did is not required for us to be able to partake of it and enjoy the benefits. So Lord, for each one of us as we go about our day and do the things that we have to do, I just ask that you would give us the understanding and the deeper revelation of each of these points, that as we go through our lives and we encounter people that we would see how you want us to relate to them and how you've related to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.